All right, you need anything from me? Because I'm going to be talking to myself. Okay. All right, welcome to This Is Here, Episode 9. I am Adam Schechter, the school-based technology specialist, a.k.a. tech coach at John R. Lewis High School here in Springfield, Virginia, part of Fairfax County Public Schools. And I want to welcome everyone to the program. This is a little late in coming, but better late than never, I suppose, as they uh, said in Ghostbusters 2 when the Titanic rolled in. Love that scene. But we do have a very special show. I have an interview I recorded with Margaret Sizzler, who is the assistant principal at Brookfield Elementary and previously a high school, elementary school ESPITS, as well as a classroom teacher. She also is part of the board of directors at VISTI, which is the Virginia Society for Technology in Education. And that is primarily the focus of this show as back in December, I had the opportunity to go to the VISTI conference and I presented about podcasting. Maybe some of you who were at that presentation are listening now. That would be quite a small audience. But yeah, it was uh, quite a different experience. I want to talk a little bit about what that was like as a presenter, what it was like as an attendee at some of the sessions that I attended. Overall feel and sort of a idea for those of you out there who've never had a conference experience, uh, why they are very valuable. So let's get into it. Uh, so yes, back in, I guess, over the summer, uh, early fall, there were the application processes for Visti. And as many of you know, any of you have listened to the show, uh, I'm very active in creating podcasts and advocating for them as an educational tool and have done a number of podcast projects and have led ESOL students or English classes or just recently a world language class. We did a podcast in Spanish with students. Each of them has found it to be quite a rewarding experience. And so I set out to do a presentation that would introduce everybody to podcasting, sort of the technical requirements, the whys, the skills that are developed, as it was called podcasting for skill development, which if you heard the previous episode where I was live from Roanoke, essentially, it's a terrible title. It really was. I have, I have one next year uh, already in mind. I kind of talk about it with Margaret. The presentation itself went pretty well. I, I scouted out the room ahead of time. It is like a ballroom that was subdivided into a bunch of presentation rooms. And I saw that I would have access to a table, a projector, and a bunch of seats. And so I know next year, uh, if I was going to do something similar, that I would pursue what they call like alternative seating assignments. Uh, there was one room that I went to that had a presentation where there was a bunch of tables. Everyone sat at one. And I felt like that would have been so much more conducive to what I wanted to try uh, than the room that I was in. So no complaints to the, the VISTI organizers, of course. Um, you know, I think as a first-time presenter, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't really have a great concept of what that time would look like. And so now that I do, and now I have goals for next year. I certainly understand the adjustments that I want to make for next year in particular. But no, I mean, the conference itself was incredibly well organized. Um, it was clear about what sessions were where, the directions were set. Uh, they had a whole bunch of accommodations for 
different mental health breaks and different things that you can check in on. Uh, the vendor display was great and walking around and talking to some of the different vendors. Just the experience and being at the Hotel Roanoke, which is a very old hotel. It dates back to the mid-1800s and I had a blast and was able to kick back and talk to some of my uh, compadres from different schools and hear about their presentations and also talk to people just around the whole state. So that was, you know, the, the conference experience itself was great. But the, so the presentation, I had like this idea in my head about getting people to start a podcast, but then wound up creating a presentation that was very talk centric, uh, just sort of a transfer of information. It was pretty clear early on that I was biting off a little too much in what podcasting was. Like what I was trying to accomplish is probably something that would have been better over a series of presentations or something a little more bite-sized. Got that in the back of my head. So when I arrived there uh, for the presentation, there was probably about 25 or so in attendance. It didn't really help that I was also at the same time as Catlin Tucker, who was the keynote speaker and also giving a blended learning presentation at the same time that I was giving my own presentation. So I could definitely see why uh, my own session wouldn't be nearly as, as well attended. That's fine. So I wanted discussing like podcasting basics. I kind of talked a lot about, you know, sort of the skills that it hits. I talked about the C's, if you will, of education, the collaborative nature of podcasts, kind of working as a team, creative and critical thinking that's involved in coming up with your concept, your scripts, assigning the roles, you know, just the sort of creation process and why that was very important no matter what the subject was for podcasting. So I thought that was pretty successful. Uh, I, I went into a bit with uh, equipment and sort of the different processes that you can to record podcasts. And I went and brought everything. I had two duffel bags worth of audio gear. Like I was setting up a entire mobile studio for an hour long session. Like it was pretty nuts. And then I would actually repeat that mobile studio when I gave a virtual presentation, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, that was, that was tough. I think for next year, unless I know that I'm going to be in like an alternative space where I'll have a lot of room for different gear, I might bring some things, maybe one bag, definitely not two. Not really the most um, ideal of uh, circumstances there. And so like kind of talking about the technical requirements, talking about um, like where we get the gear, it was pretty lecture heavy. And I think next year, if I'm going to do more of a hands-on uh, podcasting presentation. I kind of have to add that space for people to explore and do their own sort of thing. And so attending certain sessions, it definitely varied. Some were more like presentation heavy. They were more like speaker focused, uh, sharing their experiences. So there was one on like AI or adaptive technology and, and like it's interesting topics. And, and I certainly absorbed quite a bit, took some notes. Uh, gave me a lot to think about, but it wasn't necessarily anything that I was like having a hands-on experience with. Um, another, another session was about like sneaky professional development. And so as a instructional tech coach, like that's what I'm looking to do almost all the time is really sneak in with some of the professional development. A lot of times you go and talk about professional development teachers. You either, sometimes you're met with eye rolls. Sometimes you're met with uh, resistance where you're like, oh, you're trying to change everything I do or oh, everything I do is wrong. Or, you know, you get a lot of, a lot of apprehension. Um, I actually had a experience with that recently where I started talking about an initiative that we're going to be doing here at Lewis High School. And it was like, oh, well, but, but everything I'm doing is fine. I was like, okay, okay. okay. So as a, as a tech coach, like you kind of get that hesitancy and your position is mostly about, in my view, making smaller changes or finding ways where you can adapt what you're currently doing 
So that's not a big shift. But then when you start seeing the rewards, it inspires you to want to do that more or to be more either tech integrated or just more like student choice and more like active learning sort of integrated in what you're doing. That's really what you're trying to do. But yeah, that was a, a cool session about like little, little sneaky things. Uh, my, my personal favorite is their potty PD, where you would put these little flyers that had like a little one pager document about like some quick tips or some other little thing that is something that you could sort of read and consume while also taking care of your other business, like something quick that you could refer to later, but at least like get you thinking while you're not really doing too much or otherwise disposed. And uh, the coaches that were running that session also said that they put that near the copiers. Like they just put that within view uh, just to give teachers something to think about as they're sort of taking care of other tasks. And they find that really useful. They, they said that the teachers in their buildings like it when it gets changed up and some things like that. So that's something I'm trying to do as well as like, like a tech desserts kind of thing. You know, those are, those are certainly ideas like long-term I would like to pull off. I think but a little difficult lately. Uh, we've had a lot of things running through Lewis high school that I've been involved with. So trying to get that started has become a little bit difficult, but Hey, in general, I thought it was a, it was a good experience. I had a lot of positive feedback people in attendance. Like I kind of talked to later, like we were like, Oh, you're the podcast guy. Like I really enjoyed your Like that sort of stuff I got, you know, from some of the attendees there. So I do have some contact info and would be curious to reach out to them a little later on and say, oh, so have you done anything with podcasts there? Maybe, I don't know. Kind of learn learn their experience. But yeah, like it was, um, it was kind of cool, especially to reach out to those that were outside of Fairfax County. I don't really get to communicate to, with other educators like outside of the district. And sometimes even you're talking to teachers or you're talking to coaches from other schools in Fairfax. It's like you're walking into a different world, uh, but to have people from like Stafford or Spotsylvania or somewhere else that is not quite the same boat as us and, and hear about like their struggles and things, you know, that was kind of good. It was, it was, you know, good to be in on that. So really enjoyed it. There was also a virtual presentation that I did. So when I initially got the acceptance for my session, I got two invites and I was very confused. And eventually it turned out that one of my sessions was going to be in person while the other one was virtual. And that was very weird. I think partly because like I felt like I was ready, but then also like I was doing other stuff. It was the last day of the conference. It was in the morning and I was like packing. I was like putting all my stuff in the car, uh, except all the stuff I needed for my presentation. <laughs> Because again, I was taking 40, 50 pounds of gear with me to this little virtual room. So it was a small room in the hotel where it was me, a relatively small table. There was a background. Um, it was like an actual Visti background, which is cool. It was like, oh, like one of those press conference backgrounds. And there was a Visti sort of volunteer, a conference volunteer also in the room with you who ran the session. So it was over Zoom. And yeah, I set up all of my stuff. So I sounded great. And my laptop decided to die halfway through. So that was uh, unfortunate, but recovered, recovered as quick as I could and, and got back to it. And, and again, it was kind of similar to the in-person one, but being that it was over Zoom, there was a lot of feeling that I was kind of like talking to the void. So you have to gear up and, and create your own energy and express your excitement over Zoom, which is Sometimes difficult to do because you know that like in the room at the time, there's only like 10 or so people in there and they're here and I deserve, you know, they deserve to get my best. And so that's what I did. And, and generally like, you know, I didn't hear too, too much from it. Like some feedback you would get, of course, towards the end is like they throw a thank you or whatever in the chat and all of that. And the person that was helping me 
in the room was certainly complimentary and said, oh, those are interesting. And like, I didn't know too much about podcasting, but you really educated me while I was sitting here listening and all that. Again, it was like, it was cool. Like it was just a cool experience to do. But one of the other things about the conference, I guess, is like as an attendee, and this is maybe something for those that want to go to conferences like this. What I liked about Visti is that it was really about like technology integration, but it was also about like good instruction. Sort of seeing those models for like getting students to take their ownership of education, which I know is a, a big term these days. So that's, that, that was invigorating uh, professionally. It certainly made me want to go to the ISTE conference, the International Society, the big overarching organization. And given what we're doing in Fairfax County, we will be talking about ISTE quite a bit. At this time, I wanted to get to the interview uh, with Margaret Sizzler. So Margaret Sizzler is a, an assistant principal at... Brookfield Elementary here in Fairfax County. And as you will learn in the interview, she was very strategic about moving to an administrator role out of a tech coaching role and kind of the challenges and, and what that's brought on. So we had a very great conversation about Visti as well, because she's a board member and helped plan the conference. So kind of talking about what educators get out of it and what the experience was like from an organization point of view, as well as myself as a presenter and an attendee. So I hope you enjoy that conversation and let's get to it. All right. Welcome back. I am joined with Margaret Sizzler, who is the assistant principal at Brookfield Elementary and the previous ESPITS at Westfields High School here in Fairfax County. Margaret, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I know. Okay. Yes, I should know. Yes. It's very exciting <laughs> just to be part of the show. See? I want to edit that out, but it'd be funny. All right. <laughs> so um, a, there's a lot of reasons why I wanted you uh, to be part of the show. I think one of the fascinating things is to talk a little bit about um, Visti. And I want to do start with that because you, while you're an administrator now, you're still very much part of Visti. And can you give us a little bit of um, what Visti is, perhaps like what it stands for and how it uh, benefits teachers? Great. So one of the things I want to start with is kind of a little bit about my journey, if that's okay. I sure. was an elementary teacher. I taught um, K-3 reading. I taught grades um, four, five, and six here in Fairfax for a number of years. And then I was an elementary ESPITS and a high school ESPITS at multiple schools. That led me to VISTI, really. When I first became an ESPITS way back in 2010, actually here at Brookfield, I found VISTI, which is Virginia Society for Technology and Education, um, as a place where I could learn and connect with other educators that were also interested in how technology can benefit our learners. Um, how we can use it to deepen learning, to really make authentic opportunities for our students um, to learn and create. Um, I attended my first conference and I was hooked because here were people, these were my people. They were speaking my language. They were excited about a lot of the same things. And in the number of years since then, um, I think I attended my first one in 2013. 13, maybe 2012 or 2013. Um, in the years since then, um, I've seen the organization grow and evolve and really lean into not just technology, but education and what's best for our learners. Really thinking about leadership, thinking about equity, thinking about um, uh, AI was a big focus this year. And it was exciting to see what might be on the frontier. So 
Um, in a nutshell, I would say because I'm passionate about what's great for kids and what's great for learners. And that's what VISTI is for me. Yeah, I would agree. Actually, my first conference was this year. Um, I hadn't really tried to go before, uh, you know, the time commitment and all that kind of stuff. But for this year, I was like, you know, I feel like I have something I can present. And so I presented about podcasting, or at least applied for it and and got through. And I totally agree. Like just being around um, educators for three days who want to push, you know, innovation in that student-centered way, I thought was one of the best things. And I really enjoyed connecting with those that have like the ESPITS job, but in other counties. And I thought that was like a really big part of it to kind of hear about similar struggles, but also some of the, some of the victories that they have had in, in, in spreading a lot of like technology integration. It's Um, fascinating to me how similar our experiences are, no matter how different our divisions are. Um, A lot of times we have really small divisions that may only have one person who serves the whole division, or we have a small division that has two or three coaches that serve multiple schools and their experiences say a lot to us and the privilege that we have to support one school uh, with our whole soul. Um, and, And also a lot that we can learn for how they manage that number of of end users really to to be able to really provide the best support that can help us when we're in great big schools like our high schools and still one person definitely now if you were um like a classroom teacher or some other role in a school um what would be certainly some of the benefits that they could have from being part of a visti conference even if they were just attending Oh, I would love for classroom teachers to attend I would love for administrators to attend the best thing I ever did was when we were at, um, when I was at Chantilly and we were launching into FCPS on, we took teams from each of our schools in the Chantilly pyramid, teams of teachers, administrators with our ESPITs, and we attended together. That gave us an opportunity to talk, to plan together, to have some of the same learning experiences, um, have those shared experiences that we can talk about. Um, I think what can happen from my perspective in a classroom, I was an innovative teacher, but it was hard to always be searching for things. What happened when I went to a conference or I attended um, some professional learning with people from beyond my school was I would get a seed of an idea that would blow up into an amazing lesson or a plan. Um, And I think that's the power for classroom teachers. It's awesome if you can attend with a team from your school. If you can't, come on your own. You'll find your people there. Yeah. And then, and if you're able to negotiate a way to get there, I know it's like cost and everything is probably the, the biggest barrier. But, you know, VISTI compared to going to the to the ISTE conference, right, the the big yeah. national international conference. I mean, you know, I. I've never been to one of those either. I think that's oh, next on my bucket list. I'd love, for, I'd love to talk more about ISTE too. I've been to several of those and it's a whole new level of learning too. Um, being the International Society for Technology and Education. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Inspiring, I think my, yes. inspiring in a lot of ways. Yes. My only, I think, experience was the, the virtual one they did a few years ago and mm-hmm. got some stuff out of it. But but being there, I thought was a whole different game because of what you're saying, the networking and and who you can kind of talk to and connect with um, and presenting. I thought presenting to someone that's not in your district or at least people in your school, that was a totally different experience. I recommend everybody present because you have amazing ideas. I think we discount ourselves a lot. We think, oh, I'm not fancy enough. I'm not special enough. I'm not doing anything innovative enough. 
you are. You're doing great work with kids every day. Let's share that. And what might seem like everyday work for you is somebody else's innovation. Just like somebody else's innovation is the greatest thing you've ever seen, they might also be wondering if it's great enough to share. Um, it really is what you have seen and haven't seen before. It's not about the the, the caliber of innovation. Mm. Yeah, that's actually something you kind of mentioned about you know, sometimes I think teachers don't realize what kind of leaders they really are and how much they could be instructional leaders just given the opportunity. I know over here, um, I'm going to probably do like a whole episode about share fairs and just how powerful they are uh, uh -huh. because we've had a few here that's just been fantastic. <laughs> um, but so I guess if you're like a teacher or a coach and you're thinking, oh, I could probably present on something. Um, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how involved you've been with uh, some of the presentation Mm -hmm. uh, selections, but what might be a few tips for people that are like uh, tossing that idea around? So I would say find a buddy. It's always less scary when you're not by yourself. So ask a buddy in your school, talk to your coach, coaches, find a teacher. It's great to present together. That's the first thing I would say. Um, and then I would say, get clear on what you want people to know. Um, be really clear on those objectives. Um, and then plan your presentation. Less is usually more because you're going to run out of time. You want to provide time for people to process. And just like with our classroom instruction, you don't have to be the stage on the stage. So design opportunities for people in the session to have conversation, to talk about what this looks like in their, in their lens, in their world, in their role. Um, what tools do they have that do this particular thing? Yeah. Um, the last piece I would say um, is to think about, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Think about how to talk about instructional strategies that are not dependent on a particular tool. So I'm going to use your podcasting, for sure. example. Podcasting is a great strategy to have students create and talk and process through their thoughts. And it doesn't matter what tool you use. You can use voice recorder on the computer. You can use an audio note all the way up to really fancy software to, to edit and move all the things. What tool you use is not really the important part. It's the idea, the instructional strategy, and how you use that. So I, I would say think about that because certain divisions allow certain, de certain devices, certain tools, certain software, certain subscriptions, and others don't. So really thinking about how it can be available to a broad audience is a, is a key takeaway after I presented at a bunch of different conferences, and that was something I learned pretty quickly. Yeah, that's some great advice. I felt like, you know, someone who hadn't presented before and then afterwards, um, some of the immediate thoughts I had was like, I, I wanted to give more space and more uh, room for some of the attendees to figure it out. I kind of wished I was in one room that had a lot of different tables set up around it. And I go, that's the one I really should have presented in and not one that was just full of chairs. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay. And like you're saying, like trying to do too much in like an hour, like I definitely over planned and yep. need to kind of do that as teachers in general. Like I think as educators, we always want to have more than enough, but also be ready on the fly to adjust and think about if I can't get through this, I'm not going to just read all the slides and go quickly. I want to cut something. So have a list in your like in your mind or in your your notes about what you're going to leave out if you're running short on time. 
right. As far as what your space looks like, Visti has done something the last couple of years that we're going to continue to do more of, which is flexible seating spaces. Um, and so when you apply to present, one of the options is, do you want to use flexible seating in your for your presentation? And what that allows, not everyone has a space like that because conference centers still set up equipment um, traditionally. Yes. We work really hard to get some flexible seating, um, some furniture that can be moved around and to reset them after every session for what is needed for the next one. So our team is amazing at doing that. Um, but checking that box allows you to be considered for that. And that might mean you have tables. That might mean you have seats that move around. That might mean you're up and moving your body kinesthetically as you're working through something in the classroom. They're, they're gathering in four corners instead of in those chairs that are hooked together. So Definitely. that's another tip to consider. It kind of seems a little intimidating at first, but don't be scared. It's just like having furniture in your classroom that you move around. Yes. And I think, and I didn't realize what that was, I think, through the application process. And then when I went and I saw what it was, I go, that's what I need next year. Yep. Now you so, know. I know. Cause I felt like for next year, I could, I was thinking of like refining the podcast. And I was like, I'm just going to call it, you're making a podcast. That's going to be my session title next year. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> I love it. I'm ready. You're ready. All oh, right. Here's, a, here's another tip. As you say that title, one of the things I want to think about is, Somebody told me this one time when I was presenting, I think I was at FETC, which is a um, a conference in Florida that I attended a couple times. It They alphabetize your presentation names. So if you want yours to be at the top of the list, think about letters, think about starting your title with something A, B, or C. When you st start with you for your, right. why, why, why? <laughs> not you. <laughs> I was thinking the word you, that came out funny. But it's when cool. you start with your, you're going to be at the end of the list. Doesn't mean anything, but sometimes people don't always get all the way through. So they might find something really good and stop looking for that hour. Actually, you're right. Because um, I know for Visti and I'm sure other conference schedules, the, the presentations per hour or somewhere in like 15 or 20 that you can choose from. So, so many amazing oh, opportunities. Man. Yeah. You get, you get lost real quick. So. Okay. Can Stand I share a title. strategy for that too? When you're attending a conference, Yes. here's what I do. So before the conference, I try to go through and star everything that I'm interested in, in the app that the, the schedule is on. I star everything that I'm interested in. Then when it's time to go to a session, I look at only the things that are starred. So during the day, I'm really only looking at my favorites in the, in the app or in the schedule. And then from there, I make a decision based on where I am in my mindset, what I want to learn and physically where I am. Can I get mm -hmm. to the other building? Can I get to the, you know, the bottom corner that's furthest away from me? And I make that decision on the fly, but ahead of time, sometimes even the night I arrive at the hotel, I go through each day and star all the things I'm possibly interested in. Yeah, that's what, yeah, I found myself doing that um, right before. So that the day of, I was like, okay, I'm not going to get too overwhelmed. Too, oh, it's, it's too much. The other thing, I'm a, I'm a real introvert. I don't, mm. I don't know that people always know that I pretend to be an extrovert in, in my professional life a lot. Um, but I'm a real introvert. I get very exhausted, quickly overwhelmed with too many people and conversations and all the things. So with a conference, it's really important to take care of yourself because you're no good if you're completely overwhelmed and depleted by the end of the first day. I have, when I was first attending conferences, I didn't know that about myself well enough to, to do it. I was like, I have to attend a session every time. 
I need to be there. Tim Stommer, who is a former ESPITS and former ESPITS management um, person in, in Fairfax, told me once that the most learning often happens in the hallways between sessions at a conference. And that was a very permissive statement for me that I could sit and have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with someone and it was just as powerful as attending a session. Um, and I could go back and process my thinking and come back out renewed and ready to learn again. And that was also okay. Yeah, that's a great advice. And I know like the conferences themselves, I think have been more attuned uh, to those needs because there was definitely at Vista a lot of like self-care stations and areas. People were taking advantage of the massages. I know they were talking about that and all that. So definitely think, a lot of these. Um, I want to talk a little bit about my role in Visti. I have been a board member now for, um, I'm finishing my third year of my term. Um, being on the Visti board is a great opportunity to shape the direction of the work we do that that might look like working with the conference team, but it also can look like working on educational outreach and membership and the podcast. And we have our we have a, our hands full with a lot of great work around the state. Um, but I'm also part of the conference team. And that has been, gosh, I don't know. I looked this up. I think it was since 2017 I've been on the conference team, um, 2017 or 2018. And I love it so much. It's exhausting to put on a conference like this, a three-day conference for between 800 and 1200, depending um, on the year, um, educators from around the state. And we do everything from presentations committee, puts all the, takes all the applications, puts the schedule together, um, setting up the rooms, the projectors, tech support, um, social marketing, all the gifts and the swag. All of that is done by the conference team and it's all volunteer. Um, it's a great thing. And we come from lots of different backgrounds. A lot of us are tech coaches. There are um, folks who are in central office roles. All of there, I'm on there and I'm an administrator, a building-based administrator. And so we come both with our professional and personal lenses. And I think every year that helps us make the conference a little bit better and a little more attuned to people's needs. Um, Something that has come recently are the the quiet spaces, the wellness spaces. Those have been the last couple of years really important as people are coming back together um, after our virtual year. And, and it's been exciting to see all the changes and how we can meet our conference attendees' needs. Yeah. And I I mean, as someone who just sort of attended, obviously I presented, but like I've I felt really good. Like I felt really comfortable. I knew where I needed to be. I, the schedule was always very clear. Um you know, we I mean, can't do a lot about the space. I think sometimes they're like, oh, it's like this place was crowded. I guess my only my only notice was something like when you do the lunch and then it was like, well, you're going to we're going to eat it. Uh, find an empty room or just hang out. But that was also cool because then you would just be in some room and some random folks from around the state and you just start, you know, to picking up some conversation. Okay. I was talking. I had a fascinating conversation with the sign language interpreters. Like that's just fantastic. <laughs> they were just I hanging out. <laughs> I am really excited about the the accessibility um, parts of the conference that we that we implemented, and it's great. I think having folks be part of our conference for as many days as they're able to be part of uh, is wonderful. So sometimes you might find yourself in a room with our keynote speakers and just have lunch and have conversations. That's happened to me multiple times at Visti. It it really is an incredible opportunity to connect across like 
you're not just talking to people who are in the same job as you. I think we get sometimes stuck with that in our own division. Like I get my professional learning with my people who are in my same job and I don't ever have those other interactions around mm -hmm. my division. But at VISTI, you have those. There are tech directors, there are assistant superintendents, there are principals and assistant principals, there are teachers, there are coaches, there are resource folks, there are coding specialists. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and I yeah. have lunch together. Definitely. And actually it was really great. I know for me, who is part of the the media side of things, you know, running the new show here and all that, um, is that people from uh, Fairfax County IT. So some of the IT directors were here. So yes. I, I got to chew their ear off for a few days and and hear about some of those different opportunities. And it was great for them to just kind of see the learning from, I think, the instructional side where they're used to seeing it just from like a technology, like they, they see the technology, but I think they get more of an idea of how it's implemented in the classroom by by being there what what they could do so all in all all in all great experience so where is it next year where, where next will this year be? be in virginia beach so um every other year the conference is in virginia beach um and so it'll be exciting so it's usually the it's always the first full weekend in december um next year the date is a little bit different this year it was like the second third and fourth it's a little <laughs> bit later next year because of how the days fall but we'll be in Virginia Beach. We meet at the convention center. We have a little more space at the convention center in Virginia Beach. Beautiful lighting. The The boardwalk is decorated for Christmas. You can do a drive down the boardwalk and see the lights. It's lovely. Ah, so it's great to have those kind of venues, right? I haven't been to Virginia Beach before, so I guess I'll put it next year. Uh, but yes. I know Hotel Roanoke was was quite the spot. Like I was very, you know, the historic building. Lovely. It, There's a lot of all history. The trees, all the Christmas yes. trees they had decorated. and all over the place. And of course the candy bacon, that was absolutely super in 2025. Our conference will be in Northern Virginia. So it'll be the first time it'll be our 40th anniversary. Um, and it, it'll be a big doing. So it'll be a great opportunity for a lot of our Northern Virginia educators who might not have the opportunity to travel to Roanoke or Virginia beach. Um, but to give it a, a try, we're going to be at the national convention center out in Leesburg. So oh. it'll be a lot of fun. It's a new location and a new venue for us, which presents a challenge to the to the conference, but an exciting opportunity too. All right, and I, you know, and I you think someone here. Are you heard it here first. <laughs> I don't know about first; it's not a secret. But okay, fine. I didn't here. know. <laughs> All right, fine. We heard it here. Try, try. I try as I can to to break news. Right, <laughs> you got to get the clicks right. It's like. <laughs> Oh goodness. Well, that's that's awesome news. Um that'll that'll help because that could be a conference I can commute to practically. So or a short stay or you know, crash yeah. in someone's someone's place or whatever. All right, so that's 2025. I'll keep that keep that little nugget. I was a little just I, I wanted to go to ISTE uh this coming year because I was like, oh, Denver in June sounds fantastic. But um there were other things with a, a family trip that we wanted to do at the same time. So that's I'm excited of... to go back to Denver in mm -hmm. June. I went to ISTE there. I don't know what year it was. I, that all sort of runs together for me, what year it was. But I had a great time when we were in Denver the last time. Yes. It's a great convention center and location. All right. Well, I won't be there for this year, but 2025, perhaps. That's that's a professional goal. I where ISTE 2025 is. They're labeled for where they are. So. And every few years it comes back to Philadelphia. So if you ever want a close one, Philadelphia mm -hmm. is a closer, it's an easy train ride away. It is. It is. I like I like going places. So I don't know. Is it um it looked like I, I think I saw for ISTE the proposal 
percentage in terms of what they approved, it was about like 30%. Like, is it, is it really difficult to get an ISTE presentation through? Like if you've done VISTE a few times, like does that really set you up for ISTE or are there's more involved? Um, I think there is a more involved application. It's very similar in what they're looking for, but I think they get more. And so they have to sort through, I just think the acceptance rate is based on volume too. Um, so I have presented at both. Um, and I don't know, I, I've presented the sessions at VISTI and then taken them to ISTI as well. So that's kind of a nice thing you can use you can use one session, refine it each time and present it again, which is kind of cool. Ah, that'll be the goal. I, I would say if you are new to presenting, consider a poster session. Do you know about poster sessions? I missed the poster session this okay. year. I think I, I was presenting at time. Is, this is the best way. The first ISTE I went to, I presented with a friend at a poster session and it's amazing. It's exhausting if you're an introvert, but it is the best way to do it. There are more of them accepted because a poster session is a lot like a science fair or a social studies fair. So a whole room is set up uh, at ISTE. It's a ballroom um, at VISTE. It's a section of the um, atrium. And we set up a whole section of these spaces where every every presenter gets a table with a monitor um, and a, like a cork board. So you can bring physical things to put on the board. You can present digitally on the monitor. Um, and really, you stand there and talk with people and have intimate conversations about your topic. Um, so you really get to connect one-on-one -on -one or one-on-a-few and have the real deep conversations that ultimately end up changing practices. Um, I can listen to a session all day in a group of 100 people sitting in a room, but if I can ask my particular question to a presenter, it's even more powerful because it, it means something to me. Mm. Um, poster sessions are the way to go if you are a first-time presenter. Ah, oh, very cool. Yeah, I'm, oh, I missed it this time. I really should have. You could put in a poster yes. session for ISTE for this, not this year, because you can't go, but for next oh, year. Next year. Yes. We shall see. I'll have to give that some thought, kick all the ideas around. All right. Well, that's very exciting. Now, obviously, since you know we're in Virginia right now, but um, I know around the country, there's like a VISTE equivalent, usually in every state, right? Like that's... Mm -hmm. oh. ISTE, ISTE is the national organization and there are state affiliates. Um, you can find a list of those on the ISTE website of all the state affiliates. They're not all named very similarly. We're just extra special. Um, a lot of times they're, they're named with something with a state name in it, um, but a totally different acronym. Yes, I noticed that with the New York one because I was telling a friend of mine who works in New York. I was like, you should, you should go check out the New York version of it. It's definitely not NISTE. No, nope, definitely not. It's something far out. Uh, um, it's great when you're, um, so I've served as a board member and attended and been able to be part of some of the um, networking where you get to connect with folks from other affiliates um, and hear what's going on in their state, what's going well, what's a struggle and sharing information. Um, it's been really fun. Um, ISTE and ASCD, which is a leadership organization, merged last year and um, we really at, in Virginia have been a model of how how that relationship can work as VISTI and VASCD, as if we don't have enough acronyms, nope. have worked together tremendously on the power of coaching com, uh, conferences. Um, and in many other ways, we're building a strong relationship because we are really talking about education leadership and 
education. We're, we're doing the same work. We're really focused on the same learning and leading and strategies. Um, so it's really fun to see the alignment and we get to share that with our other state affiliates. It's been really fun. Awesome. All right. So I'll wrap up our conversation about VISI. Just if you're, I was, conferences, of course, is one way. Uh, what might be other ways that teachers can go and sort of access uh, VISTI or some of the resources that they have out there? So I would say check out our website. Um, make sure you're a VISTI member. Membership is free. You can sign up to be a VISTI member and get our newsletter regularly. Um, different committees are always looking for folks who are interested. Um, we have a number of committees um, that you can also find on our webpage. I don't know if you really show notes, but I'll send you some links and we can of add course. them. Of course. Um, I, I will so definitely add them. Yes. Um, there are often seminar um, webinars. I don't know why I said seminars. Webinars. We, we're great at those now. Um, I think they're accessible to everyone. And VISTI does a bunch of those. Um, so that's a great way to be involved too. Our equity and diversity team has recently done some. Um, the education committee is doing um, accessibility slams. Um, they just had one last week, which is exciting. So there are going to be more of those coming too. Yes. I, yeah, I learned a little more about, I know that we're doing adaptive and accessible sort of education uh, mm -hmm. work. I, I went to one of those sessions. I was dr not dragged there, but like, uh, so Tim Brown, who's over at Fairfax High School, was just like, I'm going here. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So cool. I'll, I'll follow along. And <laughs> was was just interesting to see the different supports that are available and out there and how we can help, you know. Manage I that think something really important about accessibility to to bring to the front is that these are strategies and tools that are good for all learners. And when we put them in place to help some learners access learning, we really benefit all. And so it's important work and it's really exciting to see it getting attention this year. Yes, very much so. All right. So I do want to change a little bit, uh, change gears a, a bit and kind of talk about your journey. So I know uh, when I first met you, you were working with FCPS on, which was our central offices support of one-to-one -one devices. Um, and then you were like, nope, I'm going to go and be an SBITS over at Westfield. And now you're at Brookfield Elementary as, as a, an assistant principal. So if I um, may ask, what are some of the things that like brought upon those changes and how do you um, kind of like approach each of those different roles? That's a big question. Um, so oh. I, I became an SBITS because I really loved being innovative. So I actually became an SBITS in an elementary school. Um, and after a few years, I had the opportunity to move to Chantilly High School. And that opened my eyes to this K-12 opportunity to really impact instruction. That is my passion. It is still my passion. And it's what I do every day in all of those roles. So I think that's the that's the thread is how do we make learning the best it can possibly be for all students? What do we want kids to know and do? And how can we help them have that opportunity? Um, and that is the work in all of those roles. It doesn't matter whether it's with an elementary school, a high school. I went to central office for a bit. Um, and 
led that led that work with teams from all of the, the high schools and middle schools um, as we brought devices into schools. We didn't want it to just be devices. We wanted it to be about the learning. So yes, I have to figure out the logistics of how do I get 2,700 devices out to kids on the first week of school. That's a little bit of a nightmare to figure out logistically. And we're going to work with our IT friends and figure that out. But the bigger question is, what are we going to do with those devices when they're in my classroom now? And why is this important? That's the big idea and question that suddenly I got to work on at all those different levels. And I still get to as an assistant principal. Now, I have some other responsibilities as well now, but I get to do that when I'm in my CLTs with my teams. I get to talk about instruction. I get to think about how are we making sure that everybody has the opportunity to do this and learn in, in this way? It's a lot of fun. It is. And now, as an administrator, what might be some of the differences that you have in helping technology integration and helping sort of the instructional support when you also have an SBITS at your school and perhaps an instructional coach? Like, where do you sort of fit in with that? So we're a team. We all share a part of this and there's more than enough work to go around. I think that's a really important part of it. Um, there are the day-to-day how-to team teaching, showing things that I don't always get to do anymore. Um, I think I found my role as an administrator and an instructional leader. The instructional leadership part of the admin role is really with those CLT discussions and when I'm coaching teachers. So I really take the feedback when I when I do an observation and then we have the post-observation conversation. I really put my coaching hat on and I get to talk about what went well in that lesson. What do you think you um, did super and what part could we change? And then really thinking about the ideas that I can suggest there might have to do with technology. They might not. As an SBITS, the same thing could apply. I didn't always suggest the answer with technology. Sometimes we need sticky notes and paper and chart paper and markers, big kids and little kids. I want to use the best tool for the job. And so I get to ask those questions now when I'm coaching teachers or teams. And that's pretty exciting. So then what might be the biggest, I think what's the biggest difference? Like what's the difference between sort of an SBITS coaching a teacher and now like an admin coaching a teacher? What's So one big difference is I'm evaluative now. Um, I do evaluations for teachers. When I was an SBIT, I was not. And that was a big part of my role. That was a huge part of why I could be so open with teachers and why I think why teachers felt they could be so open with me. I really try to build that relationship with my teachers so we can still be open, but knowing there's a power dynamic that I have to respect. Um, It's different as an SBIT when you say, oh, you should try X, Y, and Z. When your principal or your assistant principal says, oh, you should try X, Y, and Z, that feels very different than a coach or an ad or an SBIT saying it. Does that make sense? It does, I yes. I have to be really aware of that, that dynamic when I make those opportunity suggestions. Definitely. I think that's the biggest difference in the coaching. Understood. I know. I just sent out, because um, we're having our, our meeting here. Um, next week. So I said that the teacher's like, oh yeah, SBITs want to go and hang out in your classes and go and poke around. They're not evaluative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not judging you. I no longer <laughs> have that have that caveat that I can throw on the bottom of everything. So that's a big difference. <laughs> do you know though? I mean, you know, we do talk a lot about like teacher evaluation um, in the future or like going in the future and what that's going to look like. Um, I know it, 
with teacher burnout and everything else is like a lot of a lot of pressure um i, don't know if that's I, I work really feel. hard i work really hard to i think that everyone feels that naturally because of the power dynamics because of it's tied to so many things like it, it's it is an important part of your professional growth mm. I try to work really hard to to say this is to help you grow. It's not. So back in 2016, when we started FCPS on at Chantilly, we said it's not a problem. Like, it's not a problem where you are. It's okay to be. Let me get the sentence sentence right now. It's been a minute. It's okay to be where you are. It's not okay to stay there. Growth is not a bad thing. Suggestions for growth are not a bad thing. That's a mindset that isn't always baked into everyone's evaluation process. And it's something I work really hard to try to communicate. I'm really new at this job. I've only been in it a little bit over a year, about 15 months now. I don't always get it right. Um, Sometimes that power dynamic supersedes the relationship that I've tried to build. And that's hard. Um, But I continue to work on that, that I'm not saying you're bad at something. I'm saying, have you considered there might be a different way? Or could we look at this way, which would meet the needs of our students better? Um, Not that I have all the answers either. I think that's a really important part um, of the process too. I don't know. Answer the question. I feel like I'm talking around a lot. (laughs) No, it does. I, I know as you, as someone who's been a coach, who's been like a mentor to others, I feel like like kind of the approach that you're going for um, is leading more to growth instead of being like kind of that evaluative, like just go tell everybody what to do just because I said it kind of thing. I I try not, I I don't embody an authoritarian style. Um, I'm definitely um, not that. So I, at least I try not to be. There are times when it is what it is and we have to do what we have to do. Um, But I try to do it alongside you when that's the case. So I think that's a really important part of this. Um, it's exciting to see shifts in, in instruction and to see kids learning and to see growth. I love that we get to celebrate that together. Definitely. I think, um, you know, I'm I'm a little curious to see where things like our, our POG poll, man, I don't want to throw Ackermans on them. There's that. <laughs> what are they doing? They were, do, they were recording a podcast at Visti, and I know that the host if someone was bringing up like jargon or something would like ring the bell <laughs> and I sat in and he didn't ring it once. It was, you know, it was great. But um, we talk about like our portrait of a graduate, you know, in, in Fairfax County, that's sort of the skills that we expect our graduates to have. And now they're going to do like presentations of learning is, is like the big push. So every year. Yes. yes. Are, are you guys working on that right now? We like, how's are. That going? We are. Um, it's something we did. Um, I got to focus on last year, which was really fun. We were part of the cohort um, that the county supported in doing this work. I did it with multiple grade levels last year. And to see kids talk, the whole idea is really about kids collecting evidence of their learning and talking about three things. They talk about, I grew, I can prove it. Here's my evidence. And this is why it matters. And so Um, I think it sounds intimidating when we call them presentations of learning. Really, it's a conversation and it can be even a group conversation, but I'm using my evidence to support that. And so to sit with second graders and hear them talk about how they grew, for example, about making connections. In the beginning of the year, I made these connections and it helped me because I did this. And then look at this one. It's so much better because it's detailed. It's this. It's powerful. And those kids know that skill 
matters to them now. It's meaningful. And it's going to be something they do regularly now that they're third graders. Um, it's really a lot of fun to see students find ownership of their learning in that way. Mm-hmm. It also gives kids a different way to shine. You don't have to be great at something, but you grew. You know, you improved from here to here. My details were terrible in the beginning. I didn't include any details. It's funny how they're so honest about their self-reflection. And then they grew and now their story has details. And they revised and and made it more meaningful. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. We've seen, I've seen a few of those videos. And as someone who has never worked in elementary education, probably will (laughs) not. That's definitely not my comfort zone. Um, I do love being at the high school level. But, and middle school when I was teaching middle school, of course. But some of those videos with the the second and third graders was just adorable about those sorts of things. And you go, well, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But I guess if you're, you know, you're a second and third grader, like that is a big deal to show growth about, okay, I didn't know any details. And then I was able to make a paragraph and have two or three details. It's like, that's big. And I, yeah, I, I guess as a young dad, a dad of a, a four-year-old, I'm like, I'm going to watch her do that. And I'm, I, I'm, I can't wait. That's like, it's, it's I see so it cool. now. I see it now. I with see like it pre-K. every day in our kiddos here. It's amazing. Yes. It's a lot of fun. Yes. And then you have a four-year-old who knows how to access the app store and download <laughs> YouTube because I took off the app. And then she's like, nope, I'm taking it now. Taking like, it back. Oh, goodness gracious. How did you oh. learn this? Amazing. <laughs> how did you know this? I don't even know. Yeah, I know. I'm sure we can, maybe for another time, we can talk about assessment because that's some of the other groups and things that we're doing. And mm-hmm. some of the, I know the um, grading piece and, and all of that is is huge, but we'll save that for another time. It's a whole different conversation. But I do want to ask you this sort of um, as a as a closure. So what do you miss about being an SBITS as opposed to being an admin? What's what's something that now you're, you know, a um that not like you're not enjoying what you're doing now, but something that you miss from before. I think the thing I miss is our community and the collaboration that we had. Um, not, I think, I know that that is something that I miss as a, as an administrator, my time is used differently than it was when I was an SBIT. Um, I could schedule um, time to meet with a, fo- a group of, we used to call them special interest groups a long time ago, but I could get together with a, a number of SBITs who were interested in something special um, that we could work on, figure out and move forward on. Um, it's very challenging to be away from my building um, as an administrator. Um, it's just how the system works. There's There aren't subs, there aren't any, there isn't anybody else to pick up the slack other than the rest of my team. And that's a hard part of it. Um, and I miss that collaboration. I am part of a cohort of new administrators and I value that time tremendously because it's it's some of the only time that I get to be with other administrators who are new in the role and ask the, the conversations and the questions like, how do you do this in your school? How are you managing this? I'm completely overwhelmed by such and such. Um, what are our strategies to get through it? I think our community of ESPITs was powerful that way. Um, and I was really excited. You know, our support circle when I left was strong. And I leaned on this group of folks that we saw in person and via email every day in my inbox. Um, I don't even have time for that this time. I, I will text a few other APs and 
and we get back as soon as we can. But when you're in the midst of all the the busy, the it's not just busyness. It's when you're in the work in this way, it's a lot harder to dedicate the brain space for those interests and the the collaboration that we need. Mm. Yeah. And and there's always something. There's always some some emergency and that radio that you carry around is now now your life. Yeah, it's hard. I'm lucky that I work in a school where my team, my admin team is very collaborative. So I do get that here. But as an example, on certain days of the week, we attend our CLTs. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have CLTs, collaborative learning teams. I'm going to get the dings yes. of the acronym there. Um, so we um, we attend our meetings. Well, we each support different grade levels. So we are like ships passing in the night with a high five as we go in and out of the the coaches suite, you know, with the teams. So I pop out for one hour and my, my co-AP pops in and then we switch out. <laughs> And it's hard. We don't even get a chance to to connect much on those days. I think that that is the the hardest. We have to carve out that time. And because we value it, we do carve it out. So oftentimes we will sit down before after school. Um, we'll try to sneak in those minutes when we can. Um, and I try to I try really hard to be. I don't take for granted the professional learning opportunities that I have to connect with my other APs. You know, our region meetings are. Um, our all all county assistant principals meeting those are really important for me very good all right well i want to do thank you uh, very much for being here margaret um can people find you online still is that something that you're still doing not as much or you can other? you can find me online i'm on twitter twitter i'm on x i I'm having a hard time with X. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm still on X as at Techie Margaret. Um, you can still find me there. I I am not nearly as social there as I used to be because I, I'm protecting my time a little bit differently these days. Um, but reach out, connect with me. I would love to. Very good. And we'll look forward to that. Also, the links in the show notes about Visty and everything else. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't I don't call it Twitter. Or no, I still call it Twitter myself. I, I, my phone icon still has the bird. It's like not. I recently not updated. Out. I recently updated. And I I will say I loved the education community we had on Twitter. It's not the same these days. Um, and I think I, I have not figured out where everybody is and everybody may be on different, you know, there's threads, there's blue sky, there's lots of different places. Um, and I think that community is sort of split. So um, if anybody knows where the education committee is really hot or the education community is really hopping on social, reach out to me on X and tell me, cause I, I'll head there. Well, I, I won't tell you, you know, again. <laughs> I won't tell you TikTok cause I have like a whole bunch of other thoughts about TikTok teachers that I'm not going to get into right now. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Margaret. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. I want to thank Margaret Sizzler for being our guest today on This Is Here. If you want to reach out, you can do so on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it now, at Lancer underscore EdTech. Lancer underscore EdTech. That's my professional Twitter account. Uh, you can also get to the show from at This Is Here Pod. That's This Is Here Pod. You could also... You can also send an email to thisishearpod at gmail.com. Again, thank you all for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon. So until then, see ya.